the Royals Rundown Podcast, presented by Royals Review. If you want to be updated on all things Kansas City Royals, please go visit RoyalsReview.com. You can support the podcast further by following us on Twitter at Royal Rundown Pod. That is R O Y A L R U N D O W N E O D. If you want to keep the conversation going with us, please do. On Spotify, you can respond to our polls and questions and answers. If you respond to the Q&A, we will read your response on air in the following episode. In the last episode, we asked you, who has been your favorite player to watch as the season winds down? We got quite a few responses from you all, so thank you very much. Ginger said, either Nelson Velasquez or Connor McDavid with the Edmonton Oilers. That dude is a wizard with the hockey puck and fears no man on the ice. Thank you, Ginger, for trying to get us into NHL. I will go look up Con McDavid highlights after this. Uh, Royal Rupert said, Anthony Veneziano, we need to see a 2023 Anthony start. He is the hope for the future. Well, we will be talking about his one-inning appearance from Tuesday night later on in the episode. Aaron Bailey said... Melendez and Velasquez, Lofton, maybe Waters, and the bullpen. One of the new steps up here on the stretch, but Velasquez has been fun. Kowar as well. Um, that opinion might have changed after the performance on Tuesday night, but that is uh, that is okay. Some things don't age very well, much like my takes. Luke said, Salvi has always been my favorite player, but watching Bobby develop has been fun. Not to mention Reagans and Velasquez. Both being incredible additions to the team. Hard to disagree with, with that, Luke. Thank you, as always, for checking out our polls and Q&As on every episode. Now, it is time for the better half of the podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Hikaius. That is H-O-K-I-U-S. He is Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, how are we doing tonight? Uh, you know... I was just thinking about what my uh, what my touchstone for hockey is and all I can give you is I am aware of Wayne Gretzky because he was on a Saturday morning cartoon with Bo Jackson and Michael Jordan cannot remember the name of that cartoon but it was the three just you know super athletes doing like superhero stuff um so that was pretty fun uh and then of course the Mighty Ducks and the Flying V Formation which I believe I've heard is actually like a terrible idea for hockey and, and you should never do that. But uh, I, I would definitely do that if I was playing some hockey. Okay. All right. Hey, let the, my knowledge on Wayne Gretzky kind of uh, ends. Oh, at, I'm sorry. No, Who? Wayne Gretzky. Ah, okay. Did I say it wrong the first time? You said Wayne Gretzky. Oh, man. Yeesh. Well, I mean, that's how Michael Scott said his name in the office. So that's that's how I know. Him. I, Michael Scott is is I don't know how to tell you this. He's not a person to emulate. What? He's yeah, he's he's a cautionary tale. Don't. It, so like some people are like, you know, WWJD. I'm always like WWSD. What would Scott do? And then I, I don't do that. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But he was in a very famous Michael Scott quote. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take, Wayne Gretzky. 
right? That's how it goes. All right. Well, hey, we're going to keep the confusion going on because uh, I'm doing some Scott Steiner math for all of you wrestling fans out there. Because if I am 50% of the podcast and Jeremy is another 50%, where does that leave the one and only Greg Walker who is joining us tonight? Greg, how are you doing tonight? I, I say I'm a zero, I guess. I mean, like, I, I mean, I'm just zero. a cipher. That's, yeah, that's what I heard. Listen, Greg, do do me a favor. I, I'm the equivalent. Up. I'm the equivalent to Jake Sully in Avatar. It's like I'm a cipher. You're supposed to see yourself in me because I am nothing on my own. <laughs> Greg, do me a favor. Look up Steiner math, and it's a it's a old wrestling promo from uh, the 2000s. And How many more sports are we gonna throw in here? I say I have no familiarity at all with wrestling, really. So that one definitely flew over my head. I do. I am aware of who Connor McDavid is, though. At least, like, I know he's the man in the NHL right now. There you go. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I was also at the. I was at the Chiefs game this past weekend. So apologies to my voice, a little hoarse. On Monday, it was entirely gone. So, <laughs> oh, we're still doing better than that, and it meant. I didn't have to get inundated with Taylor Swift throughout the broadcast. I don't have any issues with Taylor Swift. I don't have any issues with her personally. I don't really listen to her music. Just don't really care. But just the amount of Taylor Swift stuff that is now inextricably tied to Chiefs football is already grading me. And it's been like three days. You know, I I think I've already gone through like the five stages of grief with Taylor Swift because I was like, okay, this is this is just silly. And then I was like, all right, we could talk about Taylor Swift a little bit and then let's move on. And then I was really upset about it. And I was like, this is we can't do this anymore. And then I was like, you know what? Screw it. Taylor Swift. I got to go find some music or something. The Chiefs fan base has grown exponentially in the past four days. Especially Travis Kelsey's fan base. Exactly. Didn't, his, didn't they sell like four times the number of jerseys he normally sells or something like that? Yeah, because I like assume obviously that like I assume the Chiefs are popular and just the NFL is popular in general. But like Taylor Swift is on another level of just mm-hmm. being well known. Later on in the show, we will talk about the Royals announcers and the teams winning in September But first, let's go ahead and hear a word from our sponsors. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Before we get into it, please, again, follow the podcast on Twitter at Royal Rundown Pod so you never miss an episode or any Royals news. Plus, you can follow us all on Twitter. Our handles and the links to our accounts are in the podcast description of wherever you are listening to this show. So please go check it out. But... On with the Royals. Alrighty, guys. So there is this very popular trope around the Kansas City Royals that they always do good to close out the year and then they just fall flat on their face to start out the year. And it's it's hard to disagree with that. But it is worth noting this team is doing much better in the month of September, at least in the win-loss column. As we are recording this right now, they are 13-9, and nine which would be the first winning September since the abysmal 2018 season and the first winning month period since April of 2021. So I think like this is this is a fairly good mark um, that the team is actually winning over a month. I'm sorry, I have to I have to push back against this idea that they always do much better in September. They don't. I people keep sharing the the last five years, the September marks. 
one of the Septembers, they were worse. And another of the Septembers, they were about the same. So three out of the last five Septembers, including this year, they were better. That's, that's not, that doesn't mean anything. That's fair. That's fair. But Greg, I'll, I'll get your thoughts on this here in a second, but Jeremy, I want to start off with you. So you, you just pointed it out. It's, it's something that Royals fans themselves keep going, but there are multiple players contributing to more wins this season. Should fans believe in the September, 2023 Royals giving the team momentum heading into 2024, if that makes sense. Uh, small samples are always small samples, regardless of the rest of it. Um, so I'm not going to look at just September and be like, well, yep, everything's fixed. We're good. Let's go. Um, any more than it made sense to look at any other September. Um, this September is more meaningful than other Septembers have been because of that switch. I don't remember how long ago it's been now where they switched from instead of letting you bring up the whole 40 man roster. Um, now you can only bring up two extra guys to your to your team so it's this is no longer second spring training um these are real mlb rosters that are out here so the competition is at least real um you know there's stuff that's been going on since before september that probably is meaningful bobby witt jr mj melendez uh cole reagan's so there's there's plenty to like here i just I, I'm I'm just I don't care about September by itself. That doesn't mean anything to me. Okay, fair enough. I I think it's just a whole bunch of those. In, we've seen individual performances before, but like they're all coming together at the right time in September, at least. The my counter to that is that this is a team that doesn't walk much, and so they're always going to be streaky, and. Uh, when there's runners on base, I feel like pitchers are more likely to prove one because they don't want to walk you and add more. Um, so, you know, when the Royals get hits, they get a bunch of hits. And when the Royals aren't hitting, well, okay, you know, I'm not going to throw you a strike because you're going to swing at it. Uh, and so that's kind of what I, I see as far as that goes. Okay. Okay. Greg, I want to get your thoughts on that. Are Are you buying into september 2023 very much no i'm not buying into it anymore than i bought into april of 2021 which as you mentioned was their last winning month and they proceeded to have two dismal months immediately after that they pretty much canceled out all the gains that they made i mean <clears throat> jeremy mentioned it we're talking we're talking about small samples here i mean it's like less than a full month's worth of games and yeah, the offense has definitely appeared better, at least. Like, obviously, I know Bobby Witt's been stuck on homer number 29 for a while now, only two homers this month, but he's still been good, of course. Nelson Velasquez doing his thing, MJ Melendez. But it's not all, you know, sunshine. Like, Drew Waters has not been good, and, like, center field is still a huge hole. Like, do you want a, a really good defensive outfielder that can't hit or a good defensive outfielder that also can't really hit? That's basically choosing between Isbell or Waters, a future center fielder for the future. I don't know, pick your poison. Michael Garcia hasn't been hitting for like two, three months now. Like, I know he got off to a really good start. We're all really excited about him. There's still some underlying data to suggest he's been unlucky. But the fact is, he is an 86 WRC plus for the month. So it's like, I can look at some positives, but there's still negatives as well. And I'm still just as worried about the starting pitching for next year and for the future because Brady Singer was 
like flat out terrible in September before getting shut down as Velo was down. Cole Reagan's has not been as sharp this month. I know there's been some strike throwing issues in September. But there wasn't in the prior few months. And then obviously beyond that, you got Jordan Lyles, who credit to him, he's had some good outings lately. And Granky, who might be retiring. And then after that, I don't know, I guess on Hell Zerpa, and credit to Zerpa, he'd been pitching pretty well in a bulk role lately. I say that, and he also has given up a three-run bomb in Detroit tonight, serving in that role, and the roles are currently down 4-0. to zero. This is good podcasting. This game's going to be over by the time you hear this. Look, I'm, I'm just not willing to buy into small sample sizes as a general rule, and I'm not willing to buy into this like September hot stretch. I don't think this pretends brighter days next year by itself. I think they'll be better next year just as a result of regression because I think a lot of things have had to go like really, really, really wrong for them to be this bad. But I'm not looking at September and being like, okay, yeah, this team's going to turn it around and finish with 75 wins next year. Okay. Uh, okay. But that's because they're going to finish with 90 wins, right? Oh, you're right, 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 right. Yeah, teams have 30-win improvements from one season to the next very often, especially when they do basically nothing in the free agent market, which is fully what I expect in the offseason this year. Well, aren't we the eternal optimists out here? I love it. I love it. <laughs> Well, hey, Greg, I'm going to stick with you real quick. So the Royals currently sit at 54 and 103. They are they are likely going to lose this game against the Tigers, unfortunately, thanks to Angel's Serpa. So they might be 54 and 104 by the time you're listening to this. The franchise's worst record is 56 and 106. Will the 2023 Royals set a new record for the most losses in the organization's history? Well, I think the they're so they're playing the Yankees this weekend, and I will be at their game on Friday. Now, the concern that I have is I think the Yankees have their rotation lined up better this weekend than the Royals because I believe they're going to have Carlos Rodon and Garrett Cole going this weekend. I don't know Rodon's been pretty rough in his first season this year, but Garrett Cole is going to win the American League Cy Young. And I'm sure he would like to wrap up his Cy Young season with a really strong closing out start since he won't get a pitch in the postseason. Meanwhile, the Royals, Reagans is going, I believe, tomorrow. And so he won't be pitching this weekend. And Brady Singer is shut down now that he was good anyway. And so it's probably going to be like Lyles, somebody on Saturday, and then Granky, most likely, in some order. So I I don't know. The Royals are going to have to win, what is that, two, three more games in the next five, including tonight? I, yeah. I'm, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say they do it and set the franchise loss record, but I wouldn't mind being wrong. Okay. Jeremy, what you got? Uh, I'm just, when you mentioned Jordan Lyles pitching against the Yankees, <laughs> I wrote about the last time Jordan Lyles pitched against the Yankees and he gave up to like the first six batters he faced hit balls that were over a hundred miles per hour um, exit velocity. So I'm not, I don't feel good about that. I do question whether Granky is going to start Sunday. I know that's how it lines up, but they've been kind of acting for a couple of weeks like that wasn't going to happen. Um, and they were acting last night like it wasn't going to happen. Everyone's like, oh, they're talking like he's never going to pitch again, like he's done. And I'm, okay, so somebody's got to pitch Sunday, and I, I don't know who that's going to be. Maybe they go finally let Bolin and Veneziano pitch more than an inning. But uh, uh, somebody's got to pitch, so that'll be interesting. Um, well, it's it's yeah, got to be it, those two, though, right? I mean, I don't know how else you're who else you're going to start. If you have Reagan's going tomorrow, you have Zerpa going tonight, and you have Lyles going on 
Friday or Saturday. Who do you even have beyond that if Craigie is not involved? Well, yeah, I that's that is the question. Like I guess, so I I guess Alec I Marsh is Alec Marsh probably factors in somewhere there, right? Yeah. So Alec Marsh is presumably going to be his bolt guy, maybe following like a Stephen Cruz open, and then beyond that, like we might actually just see like a full on bullpen game. Ooh. Maybe, or maybe they'll just, uh, you know, maybe maybe they'll call up Nate Eaton and let him pitch. I don't know. <laughs> Jackson Coar, let it eat. <laughs> oh. Oh, maybe Daniel God. Lynch comes back from the uh, from the IL. They're like, just give us, just get us out of the season, Daniel. Let's go. Hey, listen. Last time he pitched was on September 21st, so he's got plenty of rest if they wanted to do that. I guess <laughs> I'd hope they don't, though, for his sake and ours. So listen, we're we're here talking about the team doing well in September. So I went back and I looked at the last good Royals team, which was the 2015 championship winning team. And even they were even they weren't perfect in September. Can you guys guess I real quick that. what their record was in the month of September? They were bad. They were like 10 and 18 or something. Like I remember them going into a skid right before the playoffs. Like Cueto was bad. And I was really concerned about them going into the playoffs. Like, obviously, they righted the shit, but I know it wasn't good. I remember Ned Yost gave the team basically the day off after they clinched the division, and they got shellacked uh, by the now Guardians. And then things just spiraled kind of from there. Uh, and I, re- I also remember people were panicking, and I may have been one of them. Yeah, Probably not, because I'm a noted non-overreactor, oh, so... Yeah. Yeah, obviously. No, they were eleven and seventeen, Greg. They were they were one win better than you thought, man. <laughs> I wasn't like, giving them enough credit. Oh, look at you! You're you're so you're so down on the Royals. You hate the Royals. Why do you hate the Royals so much, Greg? How dare you? <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Hey guys, let's go ahead and take a quick ad break. Coming up on the other side, we will be talking about Anthony Veneziano's debut. Plus, for some reason, the Royals announcers are uh, are making waves. Stay tuned. And we're back here on the Royals Rundown podcast. So, guys, we would be remiss if um, we didn't talk about Anthony Veneziano making his MLB debut against the Detroit Tigers. Can we can we give the guy a, a round of applause for actually you know make, making it to the show? He he did his thing. Even if it was only for an inning, he uh, pitched one inning, gave up one hit, two unearned runs, I will say, one walk and no strikeouts. Jeremy, I want to start off with you. What what are you making of his uh, of his debut? Are you worried? Do you want to see more of him? What are you thinking? Thinking he pitched an inning. I'm thinking that is the smallest of small sample sizes. I'm thinking anyone who draws any conclusion from that outing is – out of their gosh darn minds. Listen, Jeremy, you don't have to censor yourself, okay? I had to put the explicit tag on our last podcast, <laughs> thanks to my lovely wife. All right, so uh, so that ship has sailed. But Greg, what, what do you what do you think about Veneziano's debut? And I also don't have a whole lot to take away from it. I mean, he was having a hard time locating, especially with his changeup. I mean. Just it was really a scatter shot command, a lot of change ups up in the zone. But there's like some at least interesting characteristics with his stuff. I mean, he's throwing ninety five of this fastball, it gets a lot of vertical or horizontal movement rather on it. So I mean 
cool. He, he made his big league debut. Congratulations to him. I can't say it was overly inspiring, but I'm glad he got to do it. That's true. I think it would have been cooler I, in Kaufman. Go ahead, Jeremy. I was beginning to wonder if Veneziano and Bolin were going to be allowed to pitch. They, they'd been up for like a week or something ridiculous. That's true. I was uh, I was kind of waiting for it, but uh, but thankfully we saw Veneziano. We saw Bolin make his debut tonight, which I mean, truth be told, it was it wasn't terrible. He went he went two innings, gave up three hits, two strikeouts, and a, a home run to Miguel Cabrera. So oh. I it's hard to be mad about <laughs> a home run to Miguel Cabrera at this point. Well, he pitched two innings. I mean, now let's draw some real strong conclusions oh, from that. <laughs> Is John? He gave up a home run. Team. He is very home run prone. I know you say it's no shame to give up a home run to Miguel Cabrera, but this is not your grandpappy's Miguel Cabrera. This is this is 2023 Miguel Cabrera, who is, I kid you not, a recovering alcoholic, receiving bottles of wine or other alcohol from three different teams as his good parting gift. First of all, okay. First of all, I'm we're done. I'm off the rails now. The whole goodbye gifts thing for guys, stupid. Stupid. No, stop doing that. Bad. But the second thing is, holy crap, you guys. Pay it. Read the room. Don't buy the recovering alcoholic booze. Don't do it. Bad. Double bad. (laughs) Two thumbs down. And of course, the A's, I believe it was the A's. They literally, all they got it was a bottle of wine. At least other people put a little bit of thought into it. These are just like, here's a bottle of wine, dude. Good luck. Like, a, a, I think it was like a $19 bottle of wine, too. Like, I'm pretty sure they use more expensive champagne when they're doing their celebrations. I it mean. Was it was 90 Was it 90 give Okay. Up, give up some credit, okay? Greg, what was it? $90 whole dollars <laughs> from the billion-dollar franchise. I mean, a $90 bottle of wine for me would be quite expensive, but for a Major League Baseball team to a future Hall of Famer, yeah, that's uh, be pretty cheap there, John Sherman, or John Fisher. Sorry, I'm so used to talking uh, bad about this owner. What, but, what did the Royals give him? Do we know? I have, I didn't get to watch last night. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, what would the Royals have done it in Detroit? I don't know. No. I thought they always I, – I, it's like the last time you – I don't know. I'll have to I'll have to go back and look because I don't remember what they got him either. Well, maybe they haven't yet. Maybe they'll do it tomorrow. Maybe so. Maybe so. All right. Maybe guys. the Royals aren't going to get him anything. They're like, you got a home run off of Jonathan Boland. That's your parting gift. <laughs> I I said that it's like I'm not mad about it because I just want to see Miguel Cabrera rack up as many career milestones as he can get sure. before he leaves. That was his 511th home run which is just crazy to me like, 511 more than i hit nah, same here same here all right hey speaking of home runs so fangraphs put out a very uh fangraphs is always putting out different content most of it's stats but then like you get some random stuff like this talking about how different announcers react to home runs and the royals broadcast team popped up because they had some real doozies from this year. And both you guys read through this and, and listened to these. So I would like to play both of the calls real quick. And I'd like you guys to talk about them. Sound good? <laughs> All right. 
All right. Let's see here. This is, let's see, this is from the Royals-Rangers game earlier on this season, um, Scott, where Scott Barlow gave up the walk-off home run. In the uh-huh, Scott Barlow. And now Heim belts it to deep right field, and he ends up being the Rangers' hero. Most just like silent. Here's someone dying in the background, and that's it. And they said that he, it was just 30 seconds of radio silence from the Royals broadcast crew. So that is the uh, that's the negative or negative side of uh, having to call a walk-off home run. But when it goes in favor of your team, that's a little bit different. This is from the Royals against the Astros in Houston. So this is a little bit more. Oh, wow. Blasted to left field and off the concrete wall for another home run. (laughs) That's what he came back for. Oh, yeah. That ball. Three home runs in the last two innings. Was just tattered and battered. Salvi was waiting for the heater in 109 exit velo. Wow. That thing was out of the yard in two seconds. That is his ninth home run here. Of course he talks about how hard it was hit. Of course course that comes up. If you were watching that home run, you would talk about how hard it was hit too. It was, it was a doozy. I, it did get out in a hurry, but I just re- it's hard to forget how much those two were talking about the hard hit stats to start off this season. It was so bad. All right, Greg, go ahead and start us off, man. What do you what were you thinking about the broadcast crew? It is very comical to me, the dichotomy of Rex Hudler which was addressed in this article because when anybody on the Royals hits a home run, Rex Hudler just goes ballistic, like just cannot contain his excitement. And that could be even in the middle of a blowout. If a guy really gets a hold of one, he just, he can't contain himself. And I do think like, I know HUD isn't really for everybody. I do think that is like, it's not the worst quality. I don't really mind it. I find it pretty endearing that he is like very genuinely, into everything that's going on into the Royals. And so when Salvador Perez really gets a hold of one, he just, he can't help himself and he'll whip out something like, Oh, you can't sneak a piece of cheese past a hungry, whatever, whatever player hit it. But then just if the other, if a player on the opponent's team hits a home run, especially a walk-off, just silence, just nothing from HUD. So it's, it's either one or the other with him. It's remarkable. Yeah. I Rex is, first of all, going to counter your point and say that Rex is for everybody. Just not everybody is for Rex. Okay. So uh, that is an important thing to remember. And also like, I kind of dig it. I like that. There's very different approaches. Um, as he pointed out, kind of the New York Yankees broadcaster, uh, you, you, you can confuse his call of the opposite team of the opposing teams walk off home run for the Yankees walk-off home run because of the way he calls it, um, including using his um, kind of not trade, not literally trademark, but his trademark uh, call. Um, and the thing that I really walked away from is from this description is uh, see if I can find this real quick. Uh, 
I like to imagine that he's not actually silent in these moments, talk, talking about Rex Hudler uh, when when the Royals give up a home run, but that he's mashing his cough button with both hands and cursing a blue streak. I'm sure it's not true, but it makes it more fun to imagine. Um, and that that's my headcanon from now on. From now on, when the other when the Royals give up a home run and Rex Hudler is is not talking, I'm just I assume that he is just screaming curse words, expletives. He might just be screaming literally curse words, expletives at his at his microphone. Except he'd have to mispronounce expletives somehow. Um, the moon is a planet. I don't know. Um, but you know, so that I, I kind of, and the, the article points this out too, that what the Royals are kind of doing is letting the moment speak for itself. When the other team gets that walk off home run, um, where you can hear the crowd and you can hear the celebration and, 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 and instead of listening to the Royals, but there is also an element of like, yeah, uh, not a whole heck of a lot to say about that. Um, it's it's funny i had never thought about it so it's it's cool to see it pointed out it's cool to see it pointed out how all of the teams not all of the teams but a bunch of the teams handle it um i it's, a, it's really just a fun article in general and rhino like he won't be totally silent like he'll at least say something like when jonah heim hits that home run obviously he like he like calls what happens then just lets the silence take over after that and the celebrations the one time I can clearly remember a home run where Ryan just did not say anything was I think in 2015 against the White Sox where you can look this up afterwards if you want to see because I guarantee it happened. It was Mike Moustakas facing Jose Quintana. And Ryan just says out of nowhere, he's going to get a hanging curveball and hit it into the right field bullpen. And very next pitch, it's a hanging curveball and Moose deposits it into the bullpen. Just on contact. It's just nothing. And then Hud goes, Oh, that it, like Ryan doesn't say a single thing when he hits it. Just like enjoys a, the moment. He's like, "Yep, I did I mean, that." That's a, that's a mic drop moment for sure. <laughs> Would you drop your mic? You can't talk into it anymore. That yeah, I'd be beside myself if I called it called a game like that. You've like we've all definitely done that from like the comfort of our couch and stuff like that. It's a whole different level when that's actually happening. You're in the booth. And the whole fan base is listening to you, and that happens. I am honestly still riding the high of, I want to say it was 1998. Uh, Jermaine Dye came up with the bases loaded against the Rays in Tampa Bay, the double Rays back then. Um, And I called, I was in the basement. I called my dad down the stairs. I was like, you got to come see this. And as soon as he got down the stairs, Jermaine Dye hit a grand slam. He's like, is that a replay? I said, no, that just happened. <laughs> I just knew it somehow. I'm, I'm still writing that high for sure. Yeah, you can't call home runs too often or else just nobody's going to take you seriously when you do it. Because the one time I ever did was in 2014 at a bowling alley when I called an Omar and Fonte home run against the Tigers just out of nowhere. <laughs> like, Wait, that's, how, that's how you know you, you're going out of the lid when you call an Omar and Fonte home run. But sure enough, it was like, they won in this 10-game win streak in 2014, like June, and then included a four-game set against the Tigers. And he took, like, it was either Scherzer or Verlander yard for a three-run dinger. And I was like, oh, I knew that somehow. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's that's a pretty hard one to predict. All right, guys, thank you for that. If you all want to read the article from Fangraphs, it will be Please do. There's, there's the some really good quotes and stuff and thoughts in there. You've got to read it. It's great. Yeah, Don Orsillo, a true consummate professional. 
<laughs> All right. Hey, speaking of uh, professionals, so before before the voting closes and everything like that, we do want to remind you, you can vote for Salvador Perez um, in the Roberto Clemente Award running, I guess is the is the word for it. Um, we, we talked about on the podcast, like how it doesn't take how it seems like MLB doesn't take this award very seriously, which is um, unfortunate. But we all know the uh, infectious positive attitude that Salvi brings both in and out of the dugout and the good that he does around the Kansas City community. Um, I I feel like we have to flame the Arizona Diamondbacks, though, a little bit here, guys, because I, I pulled up the voting put in a vote for Salvador Perez and I was looking through the other candidates and lo and behold, it's Nick Ahmed who is the, <laughs> yeah, uh, heard about the Diamondbacks nominee and the guy's not even on the team anymore. Like he hasn't been on the team for a while. He's currently a free agent, which that I I think that is like, come on guys, y'all, y'all couldn't have. Well, we know he didn't get nominated for his on-field prowess. Oof. That is true. That's true. But hey, he's I, I read up his little snippet. He's doing he's doing good in the community as well. So rightfully, you know, he deserves to be in the running at least. It just looks a little silly that he's not on any MLB roster right now and he is a he's a nominee. Alrighty, y'all. So let's go ahead and get into some more uh, general MLB things now that we've run through the Royals. Um Greg, you are kind of our outside the Royals guy i would say whether it be college whether it be mlb overall so real quick for our listeners could you please summarize or tell us where this al west race is at because this is getting crazy man yeah we are going down to the wires so as you're listening to this this will change but currently texas is leading the american league west and they are almost dead even with the teams kind of behind them in the division they're 88 wins houston is 86 and Seattle has 85, and Toronto is also right there in the wild card race. And so one of those three AOS teams can hopefully win the division, and then two of them are going to try to make the wild card, but you also have Toronto right there. So one of these really good teams is going to finish at least probably 14 games over 500. It's going to miss the postseason. And so it's all going to come down to kind of what we see over these next few uh, days. And what makes it especially interesting is these teams are playing each other, like, Houston and Seattle are finishing up a three-game set tonight. So presumably last night as you recorded this, they split the first two games. So whoever wins that third one is going to be huge. And then Seattle has four against the Rangers to close out the season. And so to some extent, their fate is in their own hands. And Seattle just got swept at the Rangers last weekend. And so they're looking for some redemption here. And if you're Seattle, at least, your fate is essentially in your own hands. If you're Texas, you got to hold serve. And if you're Houston, like, we think of Houston as just this default American League playoff team now, but they're in serious danger of missing out on the postseason, especially if they end up losing this last game to Seattle. And then they get three at Arizona. So those aren't exactly going to be easy matchups for them either because they might be getting the teeth of Arizona's uh, pitching rotation. So it'll be very interesting to see what they can actually do down the stretch. Like, quite frankly, I it's hard to guess exactly how this is going to shake out, but I'm feeling pretty good about Seattle just because of how much I like their pitching. Texas and Houston both have some uh, pretty distinct issues right now. Like Houston, this is not a vintage Houston offense. Like this isn't the lineup that we've come to expect from the Astros over the last few years. 
And I have some serious concerns about the entire Texas Rangers pitching staff right now. Like their rotation is super banged up. And their bullpen is just not very good. So all these three teams do have some serious flaws, but we have four more days to see what happens with this AL West race. And it's going to be fascinating, which is great because most of the other division races pretty underwhelming this year, pretty underwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely the truth. Jeremy, what, what do you think? Are you taking any solace in the fact that the Royals kind of caused a lot of this chaos by, by sweeping <laughs> the Astros? Uh, sure. In that the Astros are absolutely my least favorite out of that trio of teams. I don't hate them like everyone else does. Cause the whole, uh, trash can scandal I've, I've said before that every team cheats, every team tries to cheat. They just got caught. Um, I, I, I'm not compelled by ar- arguments to the, that. Oh, nobody else uses TVs. Okay. Well, they would, if they could, um, if they thought of it, they would. Um, and so I, and like, I, I, I think we said before, I'm a big fan of the Mariners. The Orioles are in there. So I'm really excited about the Orioles bank of the postseason. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see if the Mariners can pull this off and get in there. Um, still watching the Reds over in the National League Central too, praying they can they can get Ellie Delarosa going again and get themselves a wild card spot because the Brewers have unfortunately wrapped up that division, but uh, they're definitely in the hunt for a wild card spot still. So fingers crossed there. I'm more of an Ellie De La Cruz guy personally, but that's just right. uh, my own opinion. Right. Ellie De La Rosa, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Also, I I don't I don't agree with your AL take though. I hope Seattle sweeps the Rangers this weekend. They are the only organization that does not still host a Pride Night, and they play in my least favorite state that's not Florida in the Union. And so I would be perfectly okay with the Texas Rangers missing the playoffs. And also because the Astros have been the kings of the American League for a bunch of years now. I mean, they've been to six straight ALCSs, which is just I not say I was ridiculous that. Well, no, no, we're both we're both supporting the Mariners, but I want the Rangers to miss the playoffs, not the Astros, because uh, I feel like with uh, okay. the way the with the way the Astros have been dominating the American League, I want another team to have to beat the Astros in the playoffs to kind of knock them off their perch. Right. Like I feel like this is a team that's been the standard bearer in the American League, so you should have to beat them to get to the World Series. And I don't know, like Houston's in the LCS again every year, right? So I'm not going to ever assume that won't happen until it doesn't happen. I, I will say that I think there are worse things than the Rangers not having a pride night, such as the Rays having a pride night and then letting all the, uh, <laughs> the people who don't support the pride night stand on a platform and talk about all that. Uh, to me, that's worse than just not having a pride night. But uh, your mileage may vary, of course. Of course, of course. Well, hey, let's wrap up the postseason talk because, of course, you know, we don't have to worry about the Royals going into the postseason. Darn. Thank goodness for that. But so if the season ended today, the Astros would be in the playoffs and they would face off against the Minnesota Twins. Now, Greg, you were talking about how these ancient, well, I'm going to merge what you and Jeremy said. This ain't your grandpappy's Astros. Okay. These aren't the Astros of old ones that we could count on getting to the ALCS. Greg, do you think that the Twins would stand a chance against the Astros once they hit postseason mode? No. Like, as much as I do actually like 
I, I do quite like Minnesota's roster on paper, but I don't believe in them at all because they've only won 84 games playing in the worst division in Major League Baseball. So I can't trust them. And of course, it's the Twins. They're cursed. They haven't won a postseason game like almost in my entire life, as far as I can remember. Like, I don't know when the last time they won one was. And I know it's mostly been the Yankees that knocked them out, but included in that streak is a sweep at the hands of the Houston Astros, which came in the 2020 playoffs. And so I would assume that that's the exact same outcome. If they face off in a wild card round again, I would assume that the Astros would beat Minnesota in two games. Okay. Jeremy, if, go ahead. If the twins do beat the Astros, I have a hard time saying whether they will or not. I think if the twins do beat the Astros, that will be a monkey off of their back. You could look for a deep postseason run for them. Um, that That's my bold prediction for the I postseason. Like I like it. Yeah, it's so listen. bold that it may you may not even be able to accurately assess it. <laughs> I mean, my bold take for the AL side of the postseason, at least, is I think Toronto is like sneaky dangerous. I think they might just make a run of the pennant because – I just feel like out of all of these postseason rosters, they strike me as the most balanced. Like they've they have a really solid four guys at least in their rotation. Like Kevin Gosman has been pitching at a Cy Young level for two years now. And beyond that, like Barrios has bounced back from last year. Kikuchi's having a career year. Bassett's a good veteran. So like you have a really solid postseason rotation there. The bullpen has been way better than we've seen from years past out of Toronto bullpens. And they got a bunch of dudes in the lineup. So like I think it's a sneaky, very balanced, really good team just versus a lot of the other American League contenders, as good as they are. Like, I can find pretty obvious flaws, I feel like, with all of them. Okay, okay. Hey, Greg, to your point, the last game that I can see the Twins winning in the postseason was all the way back in 2004, <laughs> which is just wild. Um, the last time that they made it past the ALDS was back in 1991. So that is... Uh, it's been a long time, long stretch of bad postseason stuff for the Minnesota Twins. But hey, it'll it, it'll be on paper. It'll be on the diamond here before too long. Jeremy, sorry, I cut you off, man. I I just had a a thought that the Twins are the one team in the AL Central that I don't mind. I don't hate them. Um. I was just curious. I, I hate the Guardians. I hate the White Sox. I hate the Tigers. Don't hate the Twins. Can't hate the Twins, no matter how many times they beat us. Uh, I was just curious, is is that a feeling shared by you two, or do you also hate the Twins? I, I just hate all the AL Central. Like, I, yeah, isn't that what enough. you're supposed to do? I'll Probably. admit I'll admit I'm not really much of a team hater. Like I hate the Yankees. Uh, I hate the Yankees and the Cardinals. I hate the Yankees and the Cardinals. Like that's, that's really about it. Like, I guess I, I would, I dislike the White Sox the most, but like, I wouldn't really call it. hate. it's just more of like a, yeah, they're kind of whack, whatever. But like, Oh man, I don't have an issue with the Tigers just cause they've been bad for so long. And I kind of feel bad for them. Like, I feel like we're in the same boat as they are. And then like the twins, the twins are whatever. They're cool. They play in target field. Good for them. And the Guardians, I mean, they have Jose Ramirez, and he's like the my favorite player in the AL Central besides the Royals players. So I can't hate him too much. I think that my hate for the Guardians and the, the Tigers really stems from those 2014 and 2015 playoff <laughs> runs where it felt like those guys were just constantly in the way. Um, and the Twins, the Royals beat up on the Twins a lot during that period. <laughs> 
Um, and, and the White Sox are I, I don't know, man. I I just don't like the White Sox. I mean, you're, you're fair on those because like Cleveland, Carlos Santana, I swear had like a two thousand OPS against the Royals and yeah. twenty fourteen Detroit. Like after the. Like in, during the ALDS, I was terrified of the prospect of having to play against Detroit in the ALCS, but thankfully Baltimore took care of him for us. Yeah, I wasn't scared. I remember I wasn't scared of Baltimore at all. So I was like, <laughs> if they beat Detroit, I'm going to feel real good. And then, of course, you know, the rest happened as it did. I'll say though, like watching, not scared of them. Watching replays of that series, though, like Delman Young's bases clearing double in Baltimore. I'm excited to see Camden Yards hosting playoff games again. That's going to be an incredible atmosphere. I think the ideal World Series matchup is the Baltimore Orioles versus the Philadelphia Phillies. Vibes for days. Just it would two raucous fan bases and plus that's a i wouldn't say it's an easy travel but like those two fan bases will travel from baltimore to philadelphia for the world series so i think i think that would be pretty cool plus i'm here in in maryland right now i'm about a 33 minute drive away from camden i thought about going to the game tonight but that would have been pushing the podcast um i'd Listen, if I could pull how many dollars it is out of my ass, I would love to go see a World Series game in Camden Yards. All right, guys. Hey, speaking speaking of the Orioles, unfortunately, this is a, this is a hard tone shift, but do want to issue our condolences to Brooks Robinson's family and the Baltimore Orioles fan base. Um, Robinson definitely was – he was not a guy that I grew up watching, but, like, once you learn about the game – you it's hard to miss Brooks Robinson and just where he stands as one of the best defensive third baseman of like what just one of the best defenders of all time and I think if you look at the numbers he's the best defensive third baseman of all time 16 gold glove awards in a row which is just crazy and 18 time all-star two world series rings like he's his resume is just is just crazy to me Jeremy, I'm sorry. Were you saying something? How many guys even play 16 seasons, uh, much less at a high enough level to pull in a gold glove? That's just it's it's unbelievable. Um, and it's it's to me, I feel like no one really talks about him. Like I hear about Willie McCovey, I hear about Willie Mays, you know, I hear about all the Yankees guys, but. I, and I, I've heard of Brooks Robinson, but I don't feel like people really talk about him um, the same way that they do those guys. And it feels like they probably should. Yeah, pro- probably so. He was like you, and he was pretty solid at the plate. Two sixty-seven career average, two hundred sixty-eight home runs, um, just shy of fourteen hundred RBIs in his career. I just listened defense in baseball is not sexy and like that was his calling card so maybe that's why folks don't talk about him but I mean the the guy had some incredible nicknames so you just got to talk about those the human vacuum cleaner it's yeah hot corner Mr. Hoover Mr. Oriole yeah just he's he's a guy who just really I probably represented Baltimore very well whether it be the team or the fan base itself. Um, yeah, his career spanned 22 seasons, guys. Like, he, he was around for a long, long time. All righty, y'all. Well, 
on uh, on that low note, unfortunately, we will be rolling into Royals review reviews. And guys, I have a uh, I have a surprise for you. Are we, Whoa, are we ready? I love surprises. No, we we, we have an intro now for Royals review reviews. Oh, okay. Are, are you ready? You ready to hear it? Sure. Ah, hold on, hold on. It's getting there. Royals review reviews. Do 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 do. Royals review reviews. We know what we're talking about. Maybe. That is um, credit to my wife for making that. So uh, did yeah. she sing that? No, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Won't be playing that again. I tried. Um, but guys, let's go ahead and knock out our reviews for this evening. Jeremy, would you mind starting us off? Sure, I'll go. Um, I want to review, I guess I'm going to review Yakuza, or excuse me, Like a Dragon Ishin, uh, which is a game that I picked up this last week. I haven't had a chance to play it much because work, the day job has been a lot, uh, but um, it's been a lot of fun. It's uh, it's you take the Yakuza characters and put them in a historical fiction setting. Um, it's set in Japan right after uh, the Black Fleet arrived, which is just a group of ships um, from the from you know Western countries, and uh, and there was all kinds of political upheaval happening at that time, and so the characters don't necessarily like the the the. Kiryu does not necessarily play Kiryu, but he has the face and the voice of Kiryu as the protagonist of this game. Um, and so it's always fun when a new character is revealed uh, in the story and you're like, oh, I recognize that person from the other games. Um, even though they aren't always, they are frequently very similar uh, to to the other characters. And there's just, there's so much going on in this game. Um, it takes the side quest stuff to a whole new level where I literally cannot walk down the street without uh, just running past two people having a conversation and, and my Kiryu protagonist, I cannot actually remember the character's real name, uh, but Kiryu just like has to interrupt them and be like, Hey, you're talking on the street. What's up? Can I help? Um, Cause that's just how Kiryu is. And uh, they added for the, the, it wasn't originally released in the West. This is a, this is a remaster remake release. Um, and they added a mode to it called another life where you have like a little villa outside the main city where you do most of your exploring and you can do farming and cooking and trading in it. And there's just, there's so much to do. And I find it just completely absorbing all of my time uh, when I'm not working. So um, if the Yakuza series interests you, if, if historical fiction interests you, uh, definitely a game you might want to check out. Alrighty, thank you very much for your review, Jeremy. Greg, what you got for us tonight, man? I will review the uh, 2008 film Burn After Reading, which I didn't watch Ooh. that recently, but I was thinking about it. So I figured, why not? I'll just review that because I haven't watched or played anything new recently. I've just been playing Starfield and watching baseball, so uh, running out of things to review. So it's a Coen Brothers film, which if you are familiar with any Coen Brothers films, I'll tell you a lot about the uh, the kind of vibe that you should expect going into it. It's a pretty interesting cast. Brad Pitt, Francis McDormand, John Malkovich, George Clooney. So uh, planning to get out of that. It's a it's a pretty like easy, light watch. It's not a super serious movie. The runtime clock's in just under 100 minutes. But 
It has that certain sort of Coen Brothers humor, which again, if you've seen one of those films, you kind of understand what I mean by that. It's it's fun. It's, it has like it has like the type of plot, which I wouldn't say like doesn't make any sense, but it's just really weird and feels inconsequential and just goes in directions you wouldn't possibly expect it to. So it's it's a fun little watch. Would definitely recommend for anybody that's just you know looking for a one hour and thirty six minute movie from two thousand eight to watch. That's a that's a very very niche area, Greg. I will say that. <laughs> I was gonna say, who isn't looking for exactly that? <laughs> I, I can't think of anybody. <laughs> like speaking of niche things, I am going to review the World Chase Tag series on ESPN. Um, it's I, I'm here on a on a Wednesday evening, and I threw it on ESPN when we started recording. Um, it was some, I think it was like part in the interruption was on and I turn at some point in the episode and I just see folks running around trying to tag each other on this very complex parkour course inside. And I truth be told, if I sounded distracted at some points during the episode, that is why. Okay. Like it was, uh, it was actually very entertaining. My knees hurt just from watching people do that because you are just running around landing and contorting your bodies to avoid getting tagged. It's a very simple and childish premise. I will say that, but Hey, if uh, these folks take it seriously and that's some, uh, that's some athleticism I do not have. So if you, if you want to just see some different uh, feats of athletic ability, Go check out, I think it's WCTS is what they call it on ESPN. It definitely belongs on the Ocho, not ESPN main channel. I will say that, but hey, to, to each their own, whatever gets the uh, advertising revenue in, I guess. I mean, yeah. come on, ESPN 1 has has shown the spelling bee and cup stacking championships. This This is not any less a sport than those things. That is that is an excellent point. I will say that, but I am still going to lobby for the Ocho just becoming a full time channel and just show all the weird out of the box athletic stuff or a spelling bee. That's a good uh, feat of the mind, if you ask me. Alrighty, guys. Well, let's go ahead and get on out of here. If if you want to follow for more work, don't worry. You could check out Jeremy and Greg's work on RoyalsReview.com. You could also find Royals Review on Twitter and on Facebook. Greg, you could follow him over on Twitter at Greg, not Craig. You could follow Jeremy on Twitter at Takayas. You could follow myself on Twitter at Jacob Milham KC. And listen, we got a whole bunch of links down in the podcast description that you do not want to miss. So please go check that out and support your Royals content creators. But as always, y'all, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, go Royals.